The opinions expressed on The Rob Report are the opinions of the hosts, participating callers, and or listener emails, texts, and letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Form Communications. Monday afternoon to you. It's Rob Port, 970 WDYAM 93.1 FM. Well, the weather was beautiful this weekend, which makes Mondays, I don't know. I guess, I, I mean, you wouldn't think it would make Monday feel better. Because it's so nice outside, maybe you don't want to go back to work, but. I take it you didn't have the uh, 40 to 50 mile an hour winds this weekend? Well, we did, but, but mine, that's, uh, mine that's a big valley. So we have uh, we have areas we could go where we're out of it, um, you know. So mostly it's it's you know we can get out of it, get out of the trees, down in the valley. It wasn't so bad. Yeah. Um, we had a, we had a big comic book convention, so we were. I ah. took my kids to it. Kids were dressed up. Um, my daughter went as a character from Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> okay, it's I can this, honestly say I don't know anything about that. It's 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 like completely. It's it's a game, as I understand it, uh, and it's also a cartoon. I don't know. It's on YouTube. It's very, it's very, it's so nerdy. My my eleven year old daughter is just I. At one point, I recognized in her that she was just going to be a nerd, and I just took her to a comic book store and said, "My kid's a nerd. We need to set her up." <laughs> <laughs> so I have to ask you the big question. Did you go see the Avengers Infinity uh, no, War yet? Uh, you know, I see. I, I, I'm, I'm into my thing. Was always like kind of golden age science fiction and board games and stuff like that. That's minor. I was never that into comic books. Now that being said, I enjoy those movies. I don't enjoy them so much that I'm going to go like fight with other people to get into the theater. Well, so I'll probably wait till the crowds die down. A let bit, me though. tell you right now, it is probably the best type of movie like that in that genre that I have ever seen. All right. it, oh, it you was, saw it? Okay. Oh, yeah. We went, I guess, the de facto opening night. We went uh, Friday here in Fargo. The theater was sold out, uh, but I bought my tickets weeks before when they went on sale, and I took my, all of my boys, and uh, the reviews, all the little uh, review snippets that I saw for people that got to see it pre-advance are right on the money. Man, you leave that theater feeling shell-shocked. But you run now, the gamut of emotions from laughing to just about crying. Now, have you have you seen all the all the previous Avengers, like oh, all yeah. the ones leading up to? Okay, many, yeah. many, many times. Okay, so I've I've seen them all. Now, yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. Like I said, I've enjoyed them. I think they're good. Comic books weren't my thing, so mostly I I only know these characters through the movies. But I've enjoyed. I think it's really neat what they're doing, where we have just this this universe of movies now. That are all interconnected. I mean, I, I think that's very unique in terms of cinematic releases, and I, I think it's a lot of fun. I, it's, I do have to say one thing, because I'm not a big comic book guy, so I don't know the, the history of a lot of these characters, and it does help you understand this movie. I actually had to look. There's, there's something that happens in the post clip, and then there's also something else that happens in the movie that I had to go actually read about to find out and go, oh, okay, that now I understand what's going on. I don't. I wish I could allude to it, but I don't want to blow the movie because yeah. on both well, of not, these, it blows th- things. Let's not spoil it for anybody, including me, who would like at some point to go see it. <laughs> okay. Do you go to see a lot of movies? I'm, I'm, I'm a movie pass customer, which I, we've spoken b- about before mm-hmm. on the show. Um, 
I'm a little worried about my movie pass subscription. It's it's the we pay nine ninety nine ninety nine a month. This was the deal when I signed up for it. Nine ninety nine a month, and you can go to one movie a day. Um, and it's been fantastic. I mean, there have been weeks I didn't have my kids for a week. I went to a movie like every night. Yeah. It was fun. I, I started I going it. to movies. Like, I, I don't have to wait for the big – I because normally I would only go if it was, like, the big blockbuster movie, something I knew I would pretty much enjoy because it was so expensive. But now I find myself not having to be so discerning, right? I could just right. pop into the theater. I'm not paying any extra. It's awesome. No. Uh, they're cracking down on it, though. It's You can only go four times a month, I, I think, is going to be the new deal, which is still a good deal. It's yes. just not quite one a month. I'm, I'm worried about this company making money. Um, I, I don't know how they're going to pull it off, but maybe they will. I don't know. I never thought Facebook would make money either. They seem to be doing okay. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. we got a busy show coming up. Uh, U.S. House candidate, Republican U.S. House candidate, Tiffany Avetroth. Um, she didn't do that great at the, uh, at the ND GOP convention, but she's continuing on to the June primary. We had Kelly Armstrong, uh, who won at the convention. We had him on next week, uh, last week. So we're going to give her some equal time. Same with Democratic opponent Max Schneider. He's also on today. He'll be on at one o'clock. We'll get an update on their house campaigns. Uh, 1.30. Did you see this, uh, this article from Andrew Hafner, Eric? You're going to have to give me the title of it. Headline, Angry Online. Uh, the internet is an angry place. Here's why. I did not see that one. It's pretty interesting. He talks to the psychologist from NDSU. Anyway, Andrew's going to be on to tell us why people are jerks on the internet you know what i think it is you know i think people are jerks on the internet i think it's i i honestly think that what you get on the internet is probably a more honest reflection of how people actually feel and i i I think what happens is we just don't have the inhibitions on the internet right you don't have to look at the person face to face when you're, you're telling i mean either you're anonymous or even on something like facebook where maybe you're not anonymous you're still not looking at the person face to face you're still dealing with a lot of strangers it removes our inhibitions, right? It's it's almost a little bit like being inebriated in some way. Like if you're drunk, right? What's what's that Latin saying? In in vino veritas. <laughs> I think that's it. I think that's a part of it. So anyway, we'll talk with Andrew about that uh, coming up at one thirty. Uh, plus your phone call seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday.com. Big everybody's talking about the White House Correspondents Association dinner. Did you see that? Did you watch any yeah, of that? Well, or I didn't the- specifically watch it, but uh, Mike Capel on the morning show, AM Fargo Moorhead, went through a bunch of the things that was said. And as far as the the comedian goes, and I can't remember what her name is, but Michelle Wolf. Michelle Wolf. Uh, I definitely think that she she crossed the line in some things that she said. I, I it seemed to me more of a Comedy Central roast where you can say anything you want and it flies. But you're in Washington D.C. and I realize part of this correspondence dinner is to poke fun at people and there's some there's some ribbing that goes on. But she was like just it red was mean. raw. Yeah, it was mean. Um, I mean, what's, I mean, every, everybody's saying today that like the rule of thumb for roasts, and I, I like a good roast. I think they're funny. I go back and watch, um, you ever watch those old roasts with like, uh, they're on YouTube. Yes. Um, the old but like, what, like, um, like, like Sammy Davis Jr. Jr. and Bob Hope. Right. The um, Dean Martin celebrity. Roast. Dean Martin roast. That's yeah. it. Exactly. They have, they would have like Ronald Reagan there and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are funny. And, and, and like the rule of thumb was singe, but don't burn. And, I mean, that's what everybody's saying today, and I, I think that's what she did. My question, though, is, is even beyond that. because I mean, and I, I have no problem at all making fun of people in power. Republicans, Democrats, they all deserve it. I, I mean, I, I think to run for public office, 
you have to be a little bit of an egomaniac and a sociopath to begin with. There's just nobody who subjects themselves to what you have to subject yourself to to get elected to public office without being a little off. So I don't have a problem mocking these people. I do have a problem, though, with being cruel. Um, And I do have a problem because I I think this is a really bad look for the journalism industry, right? I mean, we we are at a time when trust in the media is at, like, rock bottom lows, I mean, people just don't believe that the press is doing a good job. They think that the press is elitist. They think that the press lives in its own little bubble that is detached from the realities of day-to-day life for Americans. They think that the the media is hopelessly, ideologically biased. Now, we can have a debate about how true any of those things are. But looking at the problem through the lens of that event last night, it's hard not to conclude that they're true. Right. I mean, you, you bring I remember President Obama getting roasted. Right. And mm-hmm. he, he took some zingers or whatever, but it was lighthearted. Right. It was all in good fun. You get Trump in there and it's mean. And I, I think that's the problem is, is Republicans get held to a different standard at some of these things. But the one at last night in particular, I think was really bad. I think for a press that is trying to regain its trust in America, it's not a good look. It's just not a good look. I, I think they really did themselves a lot of damage who invites this comedian who who decides well it's booked by there's there's actually because it's it it's the white house correspondents association and as my understanding is like they're they're involved like who sits where in the white house press room and there's all sorts of different organizations like the associated press and bloomberg and fox news and msnbc and all these reuters all these different news organizations belong to it and, and so they have a head. And I, I believe the, the head, the woman who's at the head of it now is from Bloomberg. And so she and her staff at the association, they book the event, right? They, they organize the event. They book the, the, the roaster. Uh, and it used to not be quite so high profile as it is now. I mean, it's really become a lot more high profile. And I, I just don't think it looks good. I just, I just don't think it looks good for the press right i mean you're trying to regain the trust of the people and so you bring on a comedian who's obviously very far left to say things and that was my problem is there was like no circle back at all either right i mean normally like you see a roast and they're really hard on them but then it kind of circles back and they say you know let's all just have a laugh this was all in good fun there was none of that it was just trump's evil trump's awful i'm gonna say all these awful things about trump and the people that work for him and and that's it um but she did hammer, not a good look. Did she? She did hammer on CNN and some other ones as well. She it wasn't did. Like she just she picked did, on Republicans. Yeah. She she, uh, did. she hammered Hillary a Clinton bit. a little bit. That drew really big response and laughs. All right. Well, Hillary really deserves it. You know, the other defense I've been hearing from people is uh, well, not that Trump. And I'm not now, saying Trump on. doesn't deserve it either. I'm not saying. Well, okay, I'll be. Yeah, you Trump totally deserves just... it too. <laughs> Trump totally deserves it too. And, but I, the thing with Hillary is, I, I don't. It didn't strike me as mean. I feel the stuff that was said about, especially um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, you know, was, I mean, she had to sit in the room with it. That crossed And they're the talking line. about her appearance and stuff. Right. I mean, that was, that was, I don't know why that's okay. It's it's not okay. So I thought that was unfortunate. I'm hearing a lot of people today, like reading on Facebook and that, where they're defending it, saying, well, Trump says awful things too. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so that's the footing that the journalism industry wants to put itself on? Is it's okay to be horrible because Trump is horrible? 
There's actually a fallacy. It's called the two Coke fallacy, which is Latin essentially for you do it too, right? My my two-year-old deploys this when he gets in trouble, right? Like if he gets caught doing something, he'll try to point out, well, somebody else did it too. It's two-year-old logic. That doesn't make any sense. You know, I mean, if, if I'm the journalism industry, I don't want to be like I have somebody out there. I've hired a comedian who's saying awful things, and now I'm justifying it by saying, well, Trump says awful things too. That's the moral footing you want to be on? I don't think so. What did you think of it? 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. If you haven't seen it, uh, I'm sure you can find it on the Internet. I posted it at sayanythingblog.com if you want to check it out. We'll be uh, right back. Oh, we got a call. I tell you what, let's get the caller before we take a break. Caller, Mike, you're on. What's up? Hello, Rob. How are you today? Doing good. I've never heard you on the radio use the F-bomb. I watched the whole darn thing and she just used the f-bomb several times and i yeah. uh, there's there's just no way that's why well, do you want to be a professional and if you want yeah. to attack someone's personal appearance that's pathetic if that's yeah. all you got back it well, up and stop well I, I i can tell you we have on on the fcc says like i'm not allowed to say the f-bomb on air um, yeah, this was on the cable uh, so, news, so, uh, on cable, you know, and she was blasting away the to, to me, To me, it, it wasn't even so much the profanity. And profanity is what it is, and, I mean, she was working blue a little bit. That doesn't bother me so much. It was the going after how people look and stuff. And I, I think if you'll notice, I mean, people accuse me of saying nasty things, that I'm this horrible ogre, et cetera, et cetera. If you'll notice, I don't talk about the way people look. I don't no, watch personal don't. insults. But I also will note here, you do not have pet names for everybody, like uh, Angry Al or that Busybody or, or just little nicknames that one of your uh, fellow um, uh, comrades over there at WDAY gives yeah. to a lot of people when he talks about well, it. Well, I don't, I don't know. Angry Al seems pretty mild to me. I mean, that doesn't bother me that much. Well, but... on, another, on your station, another gentleman ripped a member of the medical community who I've worked with for years. And he doesn't even know the guy. To belittle him like uh, that, there. I mean, it, people were calling him and saying, "Hey, you know, you ought well, to call this guy." Okay, thanks, Rob. Well, I don't, Mike. I appreciate the call. I don't know anything about that situation. Um, I will say, I mean, I, I, for, just speaking for myself, I, you know, if I'm going to talk about things, I'm going to talk about ideas. Now, I might say an idea is dumb, but generally, you won't hear me say that somebody specifically is dumb or that somebody is stupid. You won't hear me attack the way they look. I just think stuff like that is unhelpful. You know, this is a business of persuasion. How can I persuade people if I'm doing stuff like that? We'll be back right after this. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Port 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Went a little long there with the uh, call from Mike. But, um, Eric, I, I mean, to, to me, I, I think a lot of people are getting caught up in this, like, oh, you're just being a – somebody on Facebook is just calling me a snowflake because I'm upset. I don't have a problem with Michelle Wolf going after Trump. I, I really don't, or whoever she wants to. Now, I, I think what she – I didn't think what she said was particularly entertaining. Um, maybe your mileage varies. I, I don't know. I, that's sort of a subjective thing. But I, I, there's so many people out saying – awful things in the world of politics these days i mean it, to, to me it just seems trite and unoriginal i think what might have resonated more is a more g- good-natured ribbing i mean that's that's what's unusual that's almost what's courageous today is is that sort of thing not not this bile 
Uh, and, and by the way, Trump dishes it out. Trump can take it. I'm not here to defend Donald Trump. He's said and done all sorts of awful things. I'm not defending him. My question is, is if you're the journalism industry, right, if you're out to, to convince people, listen, we're objective. We're just trying to tell you the truth. We're just out here to get at the root of it. We're just trying to speak truth to power. How does having somebody like this speak at probably your highest profile national event help? I don't think it does. That's that's the point I'm making. Does that make sense, Eric? Yeah, I think so. I get it. I just, uh, again, I, I, I don't know that the people that schedule this particular comedian uh, probably will be allowed to do so again. But that's that's just me. Well, well, and initially they came out and they were defending it. Say, well, this is all about the First Amendment and yada yada. And I, I'm, yeah, I don't. I'm not saying that she should have been censored. I'm not saying she doesn't have a right to speak. I'm just saying the journalism industry has a has a trust problem. It's it's a real issue. People don't trust them. And if you want to change that perception, we, you know, we can have a debate about whether it's fair or not. If you want to change that perception, this didn't help. What happened last night didn't help. Um, and what's disappointing this morning is you see how many people just sort of retreat to their corners. You know, um, you know, the pro-Trump people are, are, are outraged and, and the anti-Trump people think everything was just fine. Um, I don't know. When did it, I mean, I, I realize politics has always been a nasty business and I've, in the past, I've always sort of rolled my eyes at people who talk about like the tone of the debate today. I mean, there was, there was a time in the 18th century when or maybe it was the early 19th century where a sitting member of the u.s house of representatives a man by the name of spit and matt lyon who fought in the revolution was a representative from kentucky was was put in jail for beating somebody on the house of the floor of representatives and then got reelected from jail <laughs> to congress so i mean Paul, and my point being politics has always been a nasty business it's always been nasty. There's always been people hurling debates, and it's it's sometimes has even descended into violence. So in fact, one reason why we have a representative form of government is a is an attempt to avoid violence, to provide a means through which we can work out our differences without having to resort to violence. But politics has always been nasty. I just don't remember when we just we decided we were just going to accept crude jokes like this like this was just going to be an acceptable way embraced i mean and, and, and not even i mean if she was in like a like a nightclub somewhere doing this routine fine nobody cares right but she was invited there by the most powerful journalism organizations in the country that to me is the sticking point you know what's funny about that though and this is a little bit different but you're, you're a history buff right i mean you kind of oh yeah well, look at about the, our founding fathers and some of the first elections that happened. There were some absolutely outrageous things that were said about another candidate, whether they raped somebody or they were cheating on their wife. And so this isn't like the first time in history we've had really bad outlandish things. Actually, going back in history to our early times and the founding of our country, there was some really, really bad things happen. Now, social media obviously is is a big, di big difference. But back in the day, one candidate could call some another candidate candidate a murderer, and you couldn't get the word out because there wasn't much for newspapers. But it did happen. I mean, this isn't the first time in history that yeah. it's been bad like this. Well, I, and usually, I mean, because social media has made it. I mean, it used to be like a politician could go to an event, 
right, and just sort of be in the room with a bunch of other people and make some wild accusations, and it never really got fact-checked. Now somebody in that room is probably recording it, and then the video ends up on Facebook or YouTube or they live-streamed it or whatever, and, and now it could become a thing. And so the, the room that politicians have, politicians and, and the various politicos have, to just sort of make you know these awful claims is uh, is I was actually watching I was watching a um a documentary about RFK Robert F Kennedy on Netflix over the weekend and there was when RFK after after J- JFK was assassinated Robert Kennedy was running for the United States Senate in New York uh against a Republican by the last I think it was George Keating last name was Keating anyway Keating comes out and tries to claim that as attorney general um Robert Kennedy was pro Nazi. That he was pro Nazi because he left some like neo Nazi aligned group, or supposedly let some neo Nazi aligned group off the hook when he was Attorney General. I mean, so we want to talk about. I mean, this is this is Robert F. Kennedy after the assassination of JFK being accused of being a Nazi uh, in the 1960s. So I don't know. Maybe the more things change, the more they stay the same, Eric. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Tiffany Abedroth, who, as far as I know, has never called anybody a Nazi. She is uh, campaigning for the Republican primary. Uh, she lost the endorsement at the NDGOP convention, but she continues on to the primary. She's on next. We'll get an update about her campaign. Spoke with Kelly Armstrong last week. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. I feel like we should have started the last segment with this. You know what the title of this song is, Eric? Well, I'm playing it, so... <laughs> Yeah, offend in every way. (laughs) Offend in every way. Yeah. I'm patient of this. We, uh, Tiffany Abitroth, Republican uh, candidate for the United States House. She did not win the NDGOP's endorsement at their convention. Um, earlier this month, gosh, it seems like it's been longer than that, but it was just a couple weeks, few weeks ago. Uh, anyway, but she's still, she's running to the primary. She's still on the race, uh, and she's on the show to talk today. Uh, and Tiffany, how's it going? Good, Rob. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Hey, I, I know I want to. We should ask you this question because I know you have made sort of uh, you have talked about the need for um, this partisan recrimination, getting past some of this. Did you watch that White House Association Correspondence Center? I mean, I'm sure you probably haven't been able to avoid the the press coverage of it. Did you watch that at all? What what's your what's your take on that situation? You know, unfortunately, Rob, I hadn't had a chance. I just got back last night from oh, okay. uh, from Western North Dakota, so I was kind of catching up on all the news and updates on uh, what was going what was going on, and it just kind of flashed up on my feed today. So I hadn't had a chance to read it yet. Okay, well, I guess we won't talk to you about it. How's the campaign going? What are you hearing out there on the campaign trail? You know, it's been it's been great. I mean, Western North Dakota, you know, we just we met a whole bunch of, you know, just great people out there from veterans, farmers, ranchers um, and, you know, some of the businesses and, you know, how the uh, you know, kind of how the oil boom is you know slowly coming back out there. But, uh, you know, it's just been it's been really interesting. You know, it's uh, you know, it's, it's voters that, you know, they're not really sure on you know, who's, you know, who's running. So it's really, you know, keeping them, you know, kind of keeping them informed and just telling them, you know, a little bit about, you know, what's who I am, uh, you know, as a candidate. And, you know, just again, it, it's a ground game at the at this point in time. I don't. Uh, oh, by the way, seven one one two nine three nine thousand. If you enjoy the program, eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at WDAY dot com. I don't want to come off as as caddy. I'm hearing that term a lot. Everybody's calling Jim Comey caddy. And I just I don't know. I love it. I think caddy's a, a wonderful adjective. 
but I, I don't want to come off this, but I mean, a lot of people are asking me, they're saying, well, she only got a couple of dozen delegate votes at the NDGOP convention. Why run to the primary? Now, I say that realizing that Doug Burgum lost at the NDGOP convention. He came in third place, and he went on to, to win in, in the primary. Kevin Kramer bypassed the, the convention when he first ran for the House back in 2012, uh, and he obviously beat the party's nominee on the ballot. So it's not like this could be done. But, I mean, your showing was a lot smaller than, than Governor Burgum's, and I don't, I don't know that there's a lot of people who think that you have the, the sort of statewide name recognition that a Doug Burgum or a Kevin Kramer has. Why are you still in this race? Well, you know, I feel that, you know, it's, it's important to give the voters options. And I know, you know, I know during the, you know, the convention that, you know, we didn't have as many delegate votes as, you know, we were expecting. But, you know, that's okay because, you know, there were still a lot of Republicans that weren't able to make the, that weren't able to make the convention. And there's, you know, there's a lot of voters across the state of North Dakota that may see, you know, a different perspective. Someone, you know, someone new coming in, someone fresh, different voice, different ideas that they say to themselves, well, this is something that, you know, we've been wanting to hear because, again, as you're as an at-large representative, you're not representing just, you know, the party, but you're representing all the voters across North Dakota. So, you know, it's it's everyone's voice, not just not just the party's voice, you know, and that's and that's part of why, you know, we decided that we, we need to stick in this because, again, like I said, I mean, we're, we're you know, we're a strong Republican state. But there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of Democrats. There are a lot of independents in this state. And this shows that they'll also have a voice if I were to be elected in the primary. What What is it about? I mean, Kelly Armstrong is obviously the party's nominee. He is uh, endorsed nominee from, from the convention. He's on the ballot. You're running against him. What is it about Armstrong that you think makes him not the right candidate? Well, I mean, Armstrong is. I have nothing. I have nothing against. I have nothing against Kelly. Uh, I've talked to him a few times. Seems seems like a great guy. Um, you know, he. You know, he is the NDGOP legislature. You know, for you know, but again, you know, you're looking at you know some people. Again, people that I've talked to throughout the way say you know voting for, you know, giving giving tax breaks to big oil. Some people weren't very um, very happy about those those things, and and also it goes to the fact on you know a lot of the state. You know, candidates aren't really familiar with a lot of foreign um, foreign relations, international experience dealing with different government agencies, because at a federal level, it is a different level. And also having that connection, you know, with the military. And again, it's it all of that ties in more on my platform where I've had this experience. I've been able to work with quite a few government organizations over the years. And it is something that, well, all the other candidates are lacking. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. By the way, that, that oil tax, the tax cuts for big oil, I realize that's the Democratic talking point. You realize that, that the actual we've, we've collected uh, about a billion dollars more in uh, tax revenues from the oil industry as a result of those changes since January 2016. Um, so it wasn't a tax cut to big oil. I mean, I, I don't know when you change when you change the policy uh, and you collect a billion dollars in additional revenue over what the previous policy was. I don't know that that's a tax cut for big oil, but maybe a debate we can have on another day. Tell us about your recent campaign events. I mean, where have you been? Where have you been traveling to? So we were out in uh, we were out in Botno. We've been to Minot, uh, Williston, Watford City, Dickinson, and we stopped in at a few different towns there along the way and i can honestly say this year is looking to be another bad drought out there in western north dakota 
Yeah, uh, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be tough, I think. What, what sort of thing? I mean, the farm bill is obviously something that's come up, and and President Trump's trade policies. Now, you've touted yourself; you've done a lot of work. Um, I mean, you've served our military, and by the way, thank you for that. That's that's wonderful. Thank you, Rob. Um, you uh, you you've served your country overseas. I mean, you you really tout that as an advantage uh, over your competitors. Now, I, I realize a lot of your work is probably more in, in the foreign policy realm than than perhaps trade issues, but still. Uh, trade's important in North Dakota. We produce a lot of things Absolutely. that we then ship far outside of our borders and far outside of U.S. borders. President Trump has taken an approach to trade. What do you make of that? Democrats saying that, that Trump is escalating things. He's putting us at risk of a trade war. What are you saying? Well, right now, I mean, we haven't we haven't really pushed, you know, too far into again, you know, we're looking at well, just like just like I said during during the convention. Any any type of retaliatory tariffs are gonna are gonna hurt the farming industry. I mean, they it's and it will. I mean, we're already looking at. Uh, I don't know if you you had seen the recent article, but you know during during the time when it was you know everyone thought that seven dollar corn was going to you know stick around forever, and now we're sitting at a at a five year low in the commodities market. Well, a lot of farmers you know kind of you know overextended, and there's been quite a few bankruptcies and everything like that going on. And, you know, honestly, you know, I talk about veteran suicides. What's something might be unknown throughout the country is that actually farming suicides are going up now. And, you know, this is something that if we were to have these retaliatory tariffs come into play and that, again, the, the tariffs that are going to, you know, hurt our commodities market, you're going to see a lot more farmers potentially going bankrupt. And that's something that, you know, myself personally, I don't want to see it. I know no one, another farmer across the nation wants to see you know themselves declaring bankruptcy because again low commodities prices they can't find you know they can't secure funding i mean this is we're in we're in planting season right now do you uh what, what do you think we ought to do i mean because obviously a lot of people are saying well you know tr- we got to get tough on these people i, I think even democrats Absolutely. are acknowledging that at this yes. point that that a lot of the stuff china as one example has been doing uh they've been breaking the law they've been annoying a lot of the tariffs mm-hmm. a lot of people saying trump's you know, Trump's tough rhetoric is needed. And maybe in the short term, there's some bumps that we have to weather. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. just what we've got to take in order to get the right outcome. Do you agree with that? Oh, yes. No, don't get me wrong. I mean, when it comes to intellectual property, China has been taking advantage for, you know, for years. But there's, you know, there's other ways to go about doing that. It could be anything from not allowing, you know, China to buy any, you know, buy any U.S. bonds or going ahead and investing in the United States. I know we all know that China likes to diversify, but if you want to get a tough stance on China, you know, cutting them off from investing in the United States might be that way to be a, be a fair trade-off when it comes to, you know, instead of putting in, putting in tariffs, which honestly can, you know, it, it does affect, it does affect the consumer. And, you know, we were, we were just talking about this the other day when a farmer went ahead and purchased a, you know, brand new, you know, brand new aluminum, you know, trailer, and he had to pay an additional eight grand for it, and the you know the sales guys you know comp- you know straight up told him that it's because of the tariff. This is this is why you're paying this much more for this for this item. So you know if we cut China out of you know investing in the United States, this might be that hard line stance that you know President Trump would may want to look into as far as another option as opposed to tariffs because really it's it's hurting the it's hurting the consumer when they need to buy something but they have to pay you know, X amount of dollars more to have it. 
Definitely. All right. Well, uh, Tiffany, thank you for your time today. Certainly appreciate it. And you know what? I, I think we're going to try to get you and Kelly on air here before the primary and, and get a little get a little back and forth, maybe a little debate, take some qual- calls from the audience. You up for that? Absolutely. I'd love to, Rob. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll see about making that happen. Tiffany, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. More to come straight ahead here on the Rob Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. We'll be back. Welcome back. Rob Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Hey, quick uh, programming announcement. Uh, track Talk with Jason Berg scheduled to air uh, 630 to 8 tonight and Monday night throughout the summer. It's not going to air tonight due to a conflict. Instead, we'll have uh, Cubs baseball on as they start a three-game series with the Colorado Rockies. 530 pregame tonight. Uh, on 970 WDAY. So again, Track Talk with Jason Berg, scheduled for tonight, 630 to 8, is not going to be on tonight due to a conflict. Uh, Instead, you'll get uh, Cubbies baseball, which is always a good time. Uh, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Got some emails. Uh, Let's see. David Moorhead says, uh, Rob, there is a dictionary definition of a roast, a banquet to honor a person at which the honoree is subjected to good-natured ridicule. I didn't notice any honor or much good-natured ridicule. Yeah, I, I think that's the point a lot of people are making. Uh, Lyle emails says, uh, Rob, I think you were spending time on the Comedy Act so you won't have to discuss the president's Michigan route. What a hateful, invective-filled speech that was. There is no end to his pandering to his base, attacking the heads of the Justice Department, even though he appointed them, and threats that he has dirt on Senator Tester, character assassination by innuendo. That is the real jerk here. I, uh, by the way, I think anybody, I mean, listen, I I don't think uh, character assassination through innuendo is a good thing, but let's, let's acknowledge for a moment that Senator Tester essentially did the same thing to Trump's VA pick. Whatever you think of uh, Admiral Ronnie's uh, experience to be head of the VA, um, a lot of the accusations, I mean, they were unsubstantiated. They were from anonymous sources. I mean, I I really have a lot of problems with the way that was done. Uh, as for President Trump's rally, yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not here to defend Trump. I'm not here to, to, to defend the way he talks about people, the awful things he says about people. I'm not here to defend him. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is, my point is, that the people who have the job of holding powerful people like President Trump accountable, of pointing out when he says awful things, of pointing out when he says untrue things, those people, they just held a very high-profile event in Washington, D.C., where they invited and paid a left-wing comedian to come in and say awful things about President Trump. Now, if you care about holding President Trump accountable, if you care about catching him out when he says things that aren't right, that aren't accurate, if you care about that, if you care about rooting out corruption, then you should care about the journalism industry beclowning themselves with this event. You should care about that. Okay? Because... If the journalism industry seeds the moral high ground to the president, right? If they get down in the mud with President Trump, and they seem to be doing that, because I, there's a lot. Of, I mean, there there are some journalists out there who condemned what happened at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, but there's others that are defending it, which is remarkable to me. 
But if you, I mean, if you care about that industry, if you want journalists to do a good job in holding people like President Trump accountable, then you shouldn't be happy about what happened last night. And you shouldn't be cheering it on. You shouldn't be willing to look the other way on it just because you happen to hate Donald Trump. That's not okay. By the way, here's Andrea Mitchell from NBC News, hardly a left winger. She says apology is owed to the press secretary and others grossly insulted by Michelle Wolf at White House Correspondents Association dinner, which started with uplifting heartfelt speech. Comedian was worse since I misinsulted the Clintons. Peter Baker, New York Times reporter, said, unfortunately, I don't think we advanced the cause, cause of journalism tonight. Jeff Zelaney agreeing with that tweet. He's uh, the president of CNN. He said, couldn't agree more. So much important, amazing journalism this year. That should be the focus when truth matters and is needed more than ever. It was an embarrassment in the room and surely to the audience at home. And, and I thought this was particularly good. This is from Meg Kennard. She's a regional reporter for the Associated Press. She said, if the White House Correspondents' Dinner uh, did anything tonight, it made the chasm between journalists and those who don't trust us even wider. Even those of us based and those of us based in the red states who work hard every day to prove our objectivity have to deal with it. That's my point. My point is not that you can't be critical of Donald Trump. Donald Trump dishes it out. He better be willing to take it. My point is not that, uh, you know, she was vulgar and crude, although I think she kind of was for my taste. The comedian, Michelle Wolf. I thought it was kind of boring. I didn't think it was particularly inspired or funny. But whatever, your mileage may vary. My problem is that the hosts for this were supposedly objective journalists. At a time in America where people don't trust the journalism industry, where people think that, that the journalism industry is hopelessly biased, hopelessly mired in their own ideological biases. It's, it's just not a good thing. And so, listen, I, I, if you, I don't care. If you hate Trump, you think he's the worst president we've ever had in the history of the country. You hate Donald Trump. Well, I'm telling you, if you feel that way, then you better be in favor of the journalism industry positioning itself in a way to be able to hold someone like Donald Trump accountable. And they didn't. Last night, or excuse me, over the weekend, they hurt themselves. They hurt themselves. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Speaking of hurting themselves, um... <laughs> I was I was laughing a bit. You know, I, I make a big deal. I think it's always important to understand where politicians get their money. And a, a recurring theme in North Dakota politics is money coming from out of state. And that's probably the same in other states. And North Dakota Democrats, particularly on the federal ballot, tend to get a lot more money from out of state than Republicans do. It's just historically the trend. Heidi Heitkamp in particular has gotten, uh, I think, I think her, her I, I haven't seen, I haven't done the math on the quarter one report yet. I don't know that the individual contributions have been broken down by the FEC yet. Uh, but the end of 2017, Senator Heitkamp, more than 94% of her money from out of state. Um, individual itemized contributions, more than 94% from out of state. Um, now, when I when I talk about that, the Democrats poo-poo it. Oh, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares about that. Well, here is North Dakota Democratic Party chairwoman Kylie Overson on Facebook. She's also the candidate for tax commissioner. And she writes, I quote, I was doing a bit of research before I prepare my fundri first fundraising report of the cycle. I noticed that in 2017, my, do my opponent raised over $70,000, all from large contributions from wealthy donors. Only 200 of that 700K was from contributions 
under under $200. And many of his contributions came from CEOs of large out-of-state corporations. So I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of marveling at this. Our grassroots supporters can compete with his out-of-state CEOs, she says. So here you have the, the party chair, the chair of the North Dakota Democratic Party, complaining about her opponent, incumbent tax commissioner Ryan Rauschenberger, getting money from out of state. Now listen, I linked to Rauschenberger's report on sayanythingblog.com. You can take a look at that, and Mr. Rauschenberger can certainly explain for himself about where he got his money. When I did the math, uh, he got about 42% from out of state, if you include uh, political action committees. Uh, but Senator Heitkamp, the candidate who will be on the top of the ballot for North Dakota Democrats, got more than 95.4% of her campaign take from out of state. If 42%, the tax commissioner getting 42% of his money from out of state is so bad that the chairwoman of the North Dakota Democratic Party has to call him out on Facebook, then why don't we hold Heidi Heitkamp to the same standard? I'm just saying. The standard set by the chairwoman of Senator Heitkamp's party. Democratic House candidate Max Schneider on next. This is the Rob Report. Don't go away. Welcome back. Hour 2, Rob Report, 970 WDYAM, 93.1 FM. Hour 2. Starting with the Avid Brothers, which I think they're coming to Fargo, aren't they, Eric? You an Avid Brothers fan? I know nothing about that. You're talking to the wrong person. Kyle Iverson probably is all over this. And the Avid Brothers are fantastic. I think I think they're just great. Uh, my guest now, Max Schneider. Mac, you like the Avid Brothers? You a fan? You know, Rob, I was just trying to think if I knew who the Avid Brothers uh, are. I, I guess I'm not, not cool enough. Ha- uh, I need to get more hip when it comes to to modern music. I, I guess. Um, I I don't know that anybody. I was literally driving around Minot this morning, tapping my foot to Hank Williams. I'm not sure how hip I am either. But <laughs> that, that's classic. What do you? That's, that's good music. Yeah. Hank, I, I'm sorry. Hank Williams is more punk than more punk music. I'm, I'm just going to lay that out there. Maybe, maybe we could talk about that's for sure. That's 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 true. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday.com. My guest now is uh, Max Schneider. He is the Democratic candidate for U.S. House. And uh, Mac, how's the campaign going? It's going great. You know, a lot of travel, and that's that's really what I like about the campaign is just hitting the road and, and meeting with North Dakotans, talking about their their jobs and their families, and you know, what they'd like to see in, in North Dakota's uh, next congressman. And it's been a real thrill. I mean, I, I feel truly honored to be uh, one of a handful of people competing for the public's trust and and working to potentially uh, represent North Dakota in Congress. What are you hearing out there? Um, a lot of optimism, but also a lot of concern uh, about you know, these kitchen table issues that I've tried to focus my campaign on. Uh, low commodity prices when I'm meeting with producers is a huge concern. Uh, there's also you know, some hope, but also some concern about uh, the administration's trade policies and the fact that the farm bill has gotten uh, bogged down into what is uh, unfortunately an ideological uh, fight out in Washington, D.C. So, you know, North Dakotans are just inherently optimistic people, but you know, they also see see some concerns and, and definitely, uh, I think, would like to see some change in Washington. Yeah, I, you know, certainly we've we've seen that. Now, uh, talking about the farm bill, it, it I don't know, it seems like it's the same song and dance every every time uh, the farm <laughs> bill comes up, juxtaposed with an election where, you know, everybody. And it, it, do you think it's a product? Because I, I see a lot of partisan gamesmanship around it from both sides, honestly. Do you think a lot of it's because we kind of have to weld 
food stamps in with the farm bill in order to get buy-in from urban law. I mean, that's the thing everybody always says, that, that you got to get buy-in from urban lawmakers, so food stamps got to be part of the bill, and that food stamps is always kind of a polarizing political issue, and it overshadows a lot of what's in the rest of the bill, mostly because, you know, with food stamps in the bill, most of the bill, at least in terms of spending, is food stamps. Um, yeah. I mean, is that part of it? Yeah. Is, that, is that why there's so much wrangling over this all the time? Well, historically, we haven't seen the partisanship that's sort of uh, been on full display with the, far- with the Farm Bill debate this time around. I- I've been a strong supporter uh, of that urban-rural coalition, you know, tying the nutrition title into the Farm Bill, uh, because the fact is there are a lot more urban legislators in Congress uh, than there are uh, members of Congress from farm states. And so historically, that, that urban-rural coalition has really been good for North Dakota farmers, and that's helped us pass a Farm Bill that you know, it doesn't just include uh, the important safety net for our producers, but also, you know, make sure that, that hungry people have uh, something to fall back on when it comes to uh, something to eat. And so I, I'm totally fine, you know, helping individuals who uh, are, are on the lower end of the economic ladder get access to workforce training. I don't support the way that the, the House bill goes about it. I, I believe Congressman Colin Peterson put it best, that this is more of a hassle factor than it is a good faith effort to provide job training and get people back yeah. into the workforce. But, 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 but don't you think that that coalition, I mean, because again, I, I, I probably could see that it's a political necessity, but I mean, doesn't that make it really hard to, to affect good policy? I mean, when you've got two relatively unrelated pieces of policy sort of welded together for the sake of political expediency. How do we reform? Because it seems like every time we get out, it's like, well, we're going to make reforms to food stamps. Whether you agree with the reforms or not, a lot of the rhetoric is, well, by having that debate, we're putting these farm programs at risk. How can we then have a, a just a, a solid one-to-one debate about food stamps policy when you've, you've got you've got farm programs welded to it. I mean, to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of making good policy. I mean, you're saying it's been good for North Dakota. Um, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll stipulate to that point, but is it good for making food stamps policy? Well, this is sort of a new thing, you know, this, this partisan divide amongst uh, the Ag Committee. I think this is the first you know, partisan split since 1962 uh, when it comes to, uh, to reporting a farm bill out of the House Ag Committee. And so, you know, I, I, do believe that uh, the nutrition title should be firmly within the farm bill. I think that's that's important. But let's just you know set aside the ideology, you know, set aside sort of the the pet issue over um, you know these work requirements. And there's ways that you can focus in on averting fraud. The Agricultural Nutri- Agriculture Nutrition Service uh, does a good job of that right now. And so I, I think you know put aside the ideological crusade. Uh, let's get down to business here and make sure that hungry people can eat and make sure that. Uh, we have price supports in place for our farmers and ranchers. You know, Rob, the, the last farm bill was written for a different era, uh, written at a time of, of high commodity prices. Uh, the opposite of that is true right now. We need a farm bill in place that's that's going to protect our producers against uh, the risks of the market and these sustained low commodity prices that we're seeing. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY. Dot com. How do, how do how do you get rural voters to trust Democrats again? And 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 I say that if if you look across the election map, I mean obviously you look at the 2016 election, um, Donald Trump won rural America. I mean I think there's just no denying that. You even look here in North Dakota though. You look at our our, our map of legislative districts with with some exceptions. 
democratic power is mostly consolidated in North Dakota's urban areas, you know, Grand Forks, mm-hmm. Fargo, places like that. The rural areas are mostly Republicans. I, I look at those election results and I conclude there's not a lot of trust out there in the farming community for Democrats. I think people like Colin Peterson, who's obviously been very successful for a long time in our region, uh, is an exception to the rule, but just an exception. I think generally rural America doesn't trust Democrats. How do Democrats confront that? Well, I think you just focus in on the economic issues that are important uh, to producers and to individuals who live in rural areas. You know, when it comes to production and agriculture, there's a big difference between me and my opponent. Uh, we both have a record on that in the legislature. Uh, he supported expanding corporate farming in North Dakota. I supported maintaining family farms as the backbone of production agriculture. So I think that's one issue uh, where I'm much more in touch with rural North Dakotans than my opponent is. And I intend to bring that approach to Congress if I'm fortunate enough to be elected to make sure that a farm bill, you know, if it isn't uh, signed and into law before the next Congress meets, that we build policies around the family farm. And so I think the the way to win rural voters back, you know, for either party really is just meeting with them individually and talking about the economic issues that they care about, the strong farm bill, access to export markets. Um, you know, making sure that on a bipartisan basis we're, we're doing everything we can to help farmers make a living in North Dakota. So that, that's my approach, Rob. I'm going to be going everywhere far and wide in North Dakota, just talking to those kitchen table issues with farmers and, and anybody else that cares to listen. We have uh, – I'm just looking at a Reuters report to switch gears on you a little bit. Um, you know, obviously we're, we're – we're, the, the 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 lead in in the Reuters article is uh, enthusiasm for democratic for, for the democratic party is waning among millennials as its candidates head into the crucial midterm congressional elections uh they're, they're saying that they they surveyed more than 16,000 registered voters age 18 to 34 nationally uh showing their support slipping for democrats by about 9 percentage points um over the past 2 years and I'm reading down in the article, and and part of it, um, you know, they're they're uh, they're quoting somebody who uh, uh, Terry Hood, a 34 African American who works at Dollar General in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He says, "I quote: It sounds strange to, to me to say this about the Republicans, but they're helping me with the small things. They're taking less taxes out of my paycheck." Now, I think you 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 and other Democrats have been sharply, and certainly Senator Heitkamp voted against the tax reform bill, have been sharply critical of that bill, saying it's not helpful. I think the reality is a lot of North Dakotans are finding that their paychecks are a little bigger. Maybe they work for a company that gave out some bonuses. How are you guys going to – because I, I think a lot of people perceive that, that the tax bill helped them. Well, I, I think there's there's some parts of that tax bill that I strongly support. If you take a look at the doubling of the standard deduction, the, the middle-class tax cuts, you know, some of the small business deductions, those are all good things. My, my concern is that the centerpiece of this is the large tax cuts to corporations – who who least need a tax cut? We could we could have had the middle class tax relief and the tax relief for small businesses without adding a penny. Why do they, why, why 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 do you say that they don't need? Because I I realize you you join you know big corporations and we're just immediately supposed to think that they're evil. But if we're talking about competing in a global economy, why shouldn't corporate America get a tax cut? Well, I, I don't think corporations are evil, Rob. I think they're they employ people and that's great. But when it comes to tax relief, the priority should be on small businesses, and on middle-income Americans. Uh, Okay, but they they got tax relief, too. It's sort of flipped around in the opposite proportion that it should be. And so we could have had tax... But but how are are you measuring... uh, I'm sorry, I I don't mean to interrupt, but I I think you're making an important... 
Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Well, you made, you made an important important point there, and I, I just want to reiterate that because when I I have read some of your articles about the tax cuts, and when I when you talk about proportion, I mean you're basically talking about dollar size. Now, I received a tax cut from the Trump tax cuts, but I'm certain that my ta- that tax cut is probably not as much as a lawyer who makes a great deal more per year than I do. Now, the reason why in dollar values, uh, they get a larger tax cut than I do is because they made more money than I do. I mean, even if it's the same rate percentage cut, they're going to get a bigger dollar value deduction. It seems like when you're talking about proportion, you're talking about dollars. Is that really the right metric to use? Well, I think we need to evaluate who is most in need of a tax cut. I think that's middle-income Americans, and I think it's small businesses. Again, I've got nothing against corporations. I patronize corporations all the time. They employ a lot of people. Uh, but the vast majority of corporations in this country are doing pretty well. Uh, the people that are struggling are those that are trying to make ends meet and living hand to mouth in some cases. Those are the people, in my opinion, uh, who should be first in line for a tax cut. And we could have done that without adding to the debt. You know, Rob, I, I know you're aware of the statistic. One trillion nine hundred billion dollars is what uh, the, the tax cuts are predicted to cost the state in, in or this country, rather. Uh, when it comes to additional debt, we didn't need to take on that debt and put that on the credit card and make you know my daughters and your kids someday someday pay that off. We could have had right. tax cuts for small businesses and middle income Americans without adding a penny to the debt, and that 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 would be my approach if I'm elected to Congress. I mean, let's keep. Well, I, I I I agree with you, but we also have situations where we have you know programs like Social Security that are projected to add to the national debt, as, as in fact have added to the national debt. We have spent we had spending. I mean. Uh, During the Democratic-controlled era uh, under President Obama, we were adding a trillion dollars a year to the national debt. Now, I'm not defending adding to the national debt. I don't like it. But it seems like the only time Democrats like you are concerned about the national debt is when we're cutting taxes. I I recognize that it's a bipartisan failure. And I think we need to start electing members of Congress who are going to work on a bipartisan basis to fix uh, that failure. But anytime you're in a hole, the, the best way to get out, first thing you need to do is stop digging. And Democrats and Republicans alike, they've shown that they're adding to the debt, whether it's from increased spending or uh, from most recently these tax cuts that in large go to, you know, bigger corporations. So I think both parties need to step out of their corners, come to the middle, uh, understand that they're going to have to make some concessions to their pet issues. Uh, But this level of debt, Rob, is not sustainable. Uh, And it has been increased by both Democratic and Republican administrations. Where would you, I mean, because I, 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 it sounds to me like you're acknowledging that spending is at least part of the problem. Where, where would you cut spending at the federal level? I, I think you've got to thoughtfully go budget by budget. You know, I, I'm not the type of person that's going to say outright eliminate you know, this agency. Um, I, I think you, you need to go department by department. Uh, and then you also need to, to take a look at how we can preserve Social Security and Medicare for future generations. That's something that neither party on its own is going to be capable of doing, but I think it's just so critically important. You know, the people in, in my practice who benefit from uh, Social Security and, and Medicare, I see it every day how critical those those programs are. And so we need to make sure that those are viable for the long term. And again, no, no one party is going to be able to do that alone. We, we've got to come out of our corners and, and look for ways that we can meet in the middle and preserve these important programs and, and also right the fiscal ship while we do it. Well, I hope you mean that. Um, and Mac, I probably we had a caller call in and said I wasn't letting you talk. And I apologize. I just you were you were saying things within the context of your answers that I wanted to drill down on. So I hope you didn't feel like I was interrupting you. I certainly wanted. No, no, to... no. I think I talked over you a little bit too. So that's no problem. Yeah, it happens. Fair enough. <laughs> Definitely fair enough. Well, Mac, thank you for your time. Certainly appreciate it, sir. Yep, sounds good, Rob. Thank you.
It's Max Schneider, candidate for the United States House. I'm Rob Port. More to come straight ahead. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Yeah, we had, a, we had a caller, and I talked about it a little bit at the end there with our interview with uh, Max Schneider, saying that I was cutting him off. Uh, listen, I, I actually take that seriously. When I have guests on the program, um, I like to let them make their point in full. Um, I like to let them talk. Now, I think sometimes I like it to be a discussion as well. I mean, I, I don't want it to just be a series of monologues by the interviewee. And I, I think sometimes get on the radio, people get on the radio, they get a little nervous. They just keep going and going, and I have to interject. Uh, but also sometimes if they make a point that I want to drill down on, I, I don't want to let that point pass. I mean, when Mac was talking about most of the tax cuts going to, to corporations or what have you, um, I wanted to drill down. The, the way they're measuring that I don't know is entirely fair. I mean, if you're a giant corporation, of course corporations that make millions, billions of dollars are going to get a larger slice of the tax cut than an individual. Um, that's because people, they pay more taxes, right? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what, if, if we try to just do I mean, what's what's the alternative? That we just do an across-the-board cut and just, okay, uh, corporations get $1,000 a year and you get $1,000? I mean, that's not that's not feasible. We have a progressive tax code, which essentially means the more money you make, the more you get taxed. Right. And so the people at the top get taxed a lot more. They get taxed at a higher rate. Plus, they make a lot more money. And so when we cut taxes, they get a lot more back. And so you can't I mean, if, if, if that's if that's the, the criteria, we would never be able to cut taxes based on that sort of rhetoric. And that's what I wanted to drill down on Mac with. But I do think it's important. I mean, I, I have an obligation as the host of the show to control i mean i I don't want to let people get carried away you know i I have to control and keep it flowing a little bit but i think with mac i think we were just having a discussion one other thing that i'll throw in here and it's just a technical side but people need to keep in mind you're in minot so there is like a half second to a second delay between you what you're hearing and what's going on over the air and there's a little bit of delay between the caller as well i'm I'm remote and they're on a phone right so you know between the two there's probably a half second to a second delay and so that that creates that could create a little bit of crosstalk now and then but i do generally i mean when i have people on the program uh, i like to let them talk i mean i I don't bring people on this program so that i can berate them i'm going to push back and i'm going to try to ask challenging questions but uh, that's it. Uh, listener sends a message about the interview with Mac. Uh, Tim says those large corporations are where I, along with millions and millions of others, have their retirement plans invested. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a point. If you're going to complain about tax cuts for corporations, remember, corporations employ a lot of people and provide goods and services to a lot of people and uh, represent the investments of a lot of people. I, I don't know why... I realize that it's a good talking point, you know. You bring up, oh, corporations are getting this and not middle-class Americans. A, I think middle-class Americans did benefit from the Trump tax cuts. And B, uh, I think middle-class Americans benefit from corporate tax cuts, too, as well. Caller, Steve, you're on. What's up? Yeah, I was going to make the same point about corporations Gmail did, so I'll skip that and just say when I'd like to put a fist through my radio is when I hear that old talking point, too, about how we got to get those poor people, the low income, the tax cuts, as your guest put it, the ones living hand to mouth. They're not paying a damn cent in income tax. Well, Half this country pays no income tax, and they even make some of them through the earned income tax credit. That's that's one of our biggest problems this country, Rob. We've got half the people have got no skin in the game, so they don't care how damn much the government spends because it's not costing them a penny. I, I think I think that's a I think that's a fair point, Steve. And I and I have a problem with that. Just just from a public policy perspective, 
Um, I struggle with the idea. I think everybody I, I don't have a problem with the progressive tax code where if you make more money, you pay more taxes. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. We can have a debate about what the bracket should be and what the rate should be. But as on principle, I don't have a problem with that. But you got to recognize that if you're going to structure the tax code that way, then the people at when if, if, when you reduce the taxes, the people at the top are going to get a larger dollar value deduction because a they pay a higher rate and b they make more money. That's just the way it's going to be. Um, well, and I also have a pro- I also have a problem with with exempting large swaths of the public from the income tax. I think everybody should have some skin in the game. I mean, I, I, outside of maybe just the truly destitute. I think everybody should have some skin in the game when it comes to the cost of government. And when government gets bigger, our taxes should go up. That's how it should be. I think that would be a pretty good check on spending if if we couldn't deficit spend, right? If 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 if, the, if we wanted to, to to enlarge government and spend more money, if our taxes went up, you know, I, I I wish I wish I wish our taxes. I wish it wasn't this thing we did with returns. I wish we got a bill in the mail like you get from Verizon or something, right? Like a bill, and it just spells it out. This is what the military cost. This is what you know. This cost. This is what that cost. This is what you owe this month. Uh, I guarantee you, if they, if we got a bill every month and that bill went up and down based on the budgetary decisions made in Washington D.C., we'd have a much different political dynamic in this country. Yes, we would, Rob. Steve, you, Steve, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Um, yeah, I mean, I, listen, I, I want to be careful. I don't necessarily have a problem with people at the, at the bottom of the income ladder, um, paying very little in taxes. I, I don't have a problem with that. In fact, I think that's incentive to climb the ladder, right? I, I don't want to punish people just starting off. Right. I mean, you think who, who are the people on, on, on the ladder at that point? Right. I mean, a lot of them, maybe kids just out of college trying to get going, taking their first jobs. I, I don't want to punish those people with high taxes. I, I don't have a problem with loading the if we're going to have an income tax, loading the tax on people who are a bit more established and have a bit more income. I don't have a problem with that. But I don't want to use that structure as a basis for rhetoric that that basically prohibits us from ever lowering taxes because you can never do an across-the-board tax reduction without the people at the top of a progressive tax code getting a bigger reduction. It's just mathematically impossible. More to come straight ahead. Hey, why are people such jerks on the Internet? Andrew Hafter is a reporter for the Grand Forks Herald. He had an article on it. It's called Angry Online. Interesting stuff. We'll talk about it coming up next here on The Rob Report. Don't go away. Why are people jerks to each other online? Eric, I feel like that's the question of our age. <laughs> Why are we such jerks to each other on Facebook? Well, you hit it right on the uh, the head. It's because people can say whatever they want and they don't have to look the person in the face. Uh, you can add to that sports athletes. I don't know if you've been watching the NBA playoffs at all or not, but Russell Russell Westbrook, got into a couple of confrontations with fans and he, after the game, it was games in Utah. And he came out and said, why is it sports fans feel that they can say whatever they want to say to athletes? When I was walking down the street, I guarantee you that same person would not come up there and insult me the same way. And I think it's the same way way with social media. I I could tell you, and we're going to talk with reporter Andrew Hafter, who actually, who spoke to people who have have actually looked at this sort of stuff academically. So he's going to speak more intelligently uh, than than we can on it. But I could tell you, as as personal experience, uh, I have met person to person people who have said some pretty awful things about me on the internet, uh, and I met him face to face. 
uh, and they didn't necessarily uh, they didn't necessarily have the same thing to say. I bet uh, not. Any, yeah, uh, and and it's not because I'm 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 a tough guy. Because I tell you what, I'm a big wimp. I've never beat up anybody in my life. I've been beat up a few times. Not a fighter. I'm not intimidating anybody. Uh, people just don't do it in person. Anyway, reporter Andrew Hafter. Andrew, uh, t- tell us a little bit. You wrote an article about this. I thought it was great. I think it's an important story, honestly, for for the times that we live in. What'd you find on this story? Sure, yeah, and uh, I'll try to speak intelligently to it. I'll probably just say a bunch of words, but just talking to a couple of psychologists at NDSU and then a fellow from UND, you didn't make it in the story by press time, but still had some interesting points. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot like you guys were just saying. I mean, I think the, the lack of face-to-face contact with digital communications makes it a lot easier for people to say things that are maybe more hurtful or hyperbolic or what have you than they would in real life. I mean, speaking about Russell Westbrook, yeah, I mean, I think uh, someone getting really aggressive or, like, abrasive to him face-to-face or rather face-to, I don't know, torso or whatever, just given the size of the guy, I think yeah. is a much more challenging prospect for most people than, I don't know, raging at him on Twitter or Facebook right. or what have you. Well, I mean, there's a certain physical intimidation factor there, too. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, maybe people more willing to insult some nerdy blogger walking down the street as opposed to um, you know a, a big muscular nba player but now I, I i what i thought was really interesting and i thought really hit the nose because you spoke with uh, michael d robinson he's a professor of psychology at north dakota state university Great. uh and he was talking a, you know a lot about a lot of the factors to me I, I think a lot of it is just the inhibition thing like and he even was talking about you don't necessarily see the facial tics of people right mm-hmm. um like you don't you don't see their their expressions, their mannerisms, their body language. Uh, to me, that's important. And even insofar as a lot of times, you know, because I've spent a lot of time, uh, you know, talking about politics with people on the Internet. And I think a lot of times people take things the wrong way because they can't hear your tone of voice or they can't hear, oh, sure. see your hand gestures. And so I think a lot of it even is, is even beyond purposeful invective. Sometimes it's just misunderstanding, too. People, people perceive you as saying something a certain way when you didn't mean it that way. Well, it's like how, yeah, I mean, it's like how people say that sarcasm doesn't exist on the Internet, or you should not You should never assume that your sarcasm is being taken that way by your reader, just because a lot of that basic nuance that we have, like you and me talking, you know, either on the phone or face-to-face, just gets flattened out on the Internet, where it's all just text on the screen. Yeah. Now, did, did he talk about anything, because we're... I, th- I think a lot of us are wondering what's what's the end game here. I mean, social media has come up. I, I think we've always maybe struggled with discourse, but social media has allowed all of us to communicate. Um, I mean, if you want to be, you can go on Facebook and be your own little pundit and have an audience potentially of millions. Uh, I mean, we, we so I, it's like we're all starring in our own little reality shows now, and uh, we have this available to us like never before. And I think a lot of people are wondering what the what the end game here. <laughs> Excuse me. What the end game is here, you know, is is there something hopeful that could come out of this? When you when you were studying this, I mean, is there any is there any indication that we're going to adapt that that we're going to change over time? Well, I mean, who knows? Like, it's kind of the the million dollar question, I think, for people who study this digital communication, uh, just trying to figure out kind of maybe what the implication is, just for you know the the way we as people interact and, and look at each other. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think something that I thought was interesting in speaking with uh, Professor Robinson there was that this this lack of inhibition isn't always necessarily a bad thing. I mean, 
you know, because our inhibitions, yeah, they keep us from hurting each other's feelings and whatnot, but at times they also keep us from being as honest or expressive as we might otherwise be. Uh, so it's sort of a double-edged sword in that. Um, I mean, as to how we, we play more to the, the positive or constructive elements of it, I'm not really sure, because even when people sign their names to things, you know, like, like your Facebook commenters, I'm sure, right? I mean, that's their, their public name attached to it. And yet, uh, I think in part because the Internet doesn't necessarily feel as real, you know, like a, like a real live commons or a real live place, uh, even if your name's attached to it, people feel that, that sense of anonymity and that freedom to uh, kind of spout off in ways that they would normally. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's possible that as the Internet becomes more normalized as you know, a real place in which we're living real lives, um, maybe the weight or the consequence of the way we get along on the web or interact with each other will be felt a little bit more. Yeah. But I, I think right now it sort of seems like we're still kind of in that in-between period where the Internet matters and it has great consequence, but not all people necessarily grasp that. I think that's a really interesting point because I think people still feel like the Internet is something apart from the rest of their lives, right? Like it's the space... And you go. Um, I, I saw a funny. I saw a funny picture sometime where, where where somebody took a picture. Somebody had gone into a classroom and had drawn an internet meme on the on the on the chalkboard. And and the caption to the picture was, "There's somebody from the internet here." And I kind of laughed at it because that's so true. Because we think of people on the internet as something apart from our day to day lives, something other. And I'm thinking recently we had a an incident in Cass County where uh, there was a Cass County sheriff's deputy. Uh, who got in a pretty heated exchange over gun control sure. on Facebook, and it seemed like the participants there w were kind of feeling like like this wasn't public, like they almost felt like this was a private conversation between them, but it's not. It is public, and, and maybe right. that's the hump we've got to get over is the fact that this is public, and you can be held accountable for this, especially as more and more, and I'm thinking over the weekend there was a big blow-up uh, somebody was complaining about a a girl who's going to prom and her her dress was oh, sure. yeah. was 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 was, was um some sort of a like I think it was a traditional it's Chinese garment uh, right and, right I think was brought up and like 160 thousand people like this like people piling on a girl going to high school with a dress and now 160 thousand people have liked the tweet I mean this stuff everybody's a public figure now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe we're going to have to start crafting our online discussions accordingly. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we're still at a point where, so it used to be, I guess, in, in the early days of your Facebook or, or really your, your personal Internet use, yeah, you might have a personal blog or something, and then in that case, yeah, it would be you communicating maybe to no one, you know, just yeah. a personal log. I know I spent a lot of time feeling. in the early days of blogging communicating with no one. <laughs> Yeah, you it took a while that. to build an audience. Right, but but now we're at a point, you know, where social media is just media. You know, I mean, I think about this quite a bit. Like, if you're, let's say, Instagram famous, well, I mean, you're really just famous. You know, I mean, if you have millions of followers who are interacting with you daily, buying products because you endorse them, things of that nature, I mean, that's just real media clout. You know, and I I'm not sure that people quite grasp that we're sort of past the point where, yeah, like your personal Facebook is, as you said. No longer actually personal. So like when you're making comments on the big sweeping issues of the day, those are essentially public statements. Um, and who knows? I mean, it could it could be that we all have to learn that the hard way. You know, sort of. Uh, I guess when you know online statements catch up to us and what we think of as as real life. You know, the, the offline yeah. forum. Um, also, I mean, it's not. It used to be if if you got into a, a shouting match with your neighbor over the back fence uh, over gun control. 
or some other hot topic of the day. Uh, there was no record of that. I mean, unless somebody happened to be recording right. it, which was pretty darn unlikely, there was no record of it. Uh, now there is, unless you go back and delete that stuff. There is. And sometimes even if you do delete it, uh, it doesn't go away. I'm looking. There was a there was a great Onion, and this was from 2012, so this is six years old now. There's a great Onion headline. It was a called uh, Report, Every Potential 2040 President Candidate Already Unelectable Due to Facebook. <laughs> um, that's kind of where we're at, right? I mean, we've all been doing it. I'm sure we've all said stuff on social media at times that we regret. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we all have posts on there that we wouldn't necessarily want our, mo- our mothers to see or, or, or splashed around in, in the media. Sure. Uh, is there going to come a point where this stuff just doesn't matter anymore, where we're not outraged about what's on Facebook anymore or Twitter or Instagram? You know, I, I wonder about that, too. Yeah, I mean, I think I think at a certain point, and actually kind of a funny, to, to continue with, uh, you know, the reference to that thing on Twitter with, um, you know, the girl, she wore like a, a dress of, of Chinese influence, basically. Uh, sort of like a, a dress that um, you know Chinese woman might might traditionally wear to a party or gathering or something, and people were saying like, "Oh, this is uh, appropriation and, and this and that," and kind of as the 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 postscript, I guess, to you know the controversy there. Someone then dug into the tweets of the original poster who called out this girl for wearing the dress, and found old tweets of his where he was using um, like racial slurs and kind of kind of a jokey context. But yeah, I mean, and then suddenly, like it was like the tables had turned, and now he was, you know, the problematic one, and it was his turn to apologize and whatnot. So yeah, I mean, I think it's in, I think it's very easy for these kinds of things to to kind of blow back to us when we least expect. And I think I don't know. I mean, I guess speaking personally, I, I suppose there will probably come a time where we just have to accept that everyone has made mistakes, everyone has spoken. I don't know, out of turn or unguardedly or, or rashly or, or what have you. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess I would hope that in the future we try to try to I don't know keep that compassion or that empathy for each other. And yeah, I mean, we've, yeah, I, I think most people want to be good, you know. So like when we interact face to face and we see those cues that we're hurting someone, yeah, we typically aren't going to keep berating them. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, hopefully someday we act on the web like we do in real life, but I'm not sure how long that's going to take. One thing I, I can tell you, I already tune out when I, I mean, because we, we have news cycles that are seem to be driven by people who are upset on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Like something happened and now a bunch of people on Twitter are upset about it. And it's like, now we're writing news. Stories. I would really like to see that, to, that stop. And I, I know why it's done. Those articles get, you know, get clicks and, and it's a business and, and people want that. And I, I hate people throw around the clickbait thing. I get accused of clickbait. What am I supposed to do? Write stuff people don't want to click on? That's what I'm that's what I'm aspiring to here. Get sure. But on the other hand, I it just kind of seems like, well people on Facebook were indignant about what this fast food restaurant did and it's like who cares? Who cares? Why are we spending our time on this? Um I don't know. I hope we get past that. I hope we get past that. And I, I think a lot of it People need to forget. I mean, my blog is older than Facebook, so this is still pretty new, and I I think we're coming to terms, and it may be a generational thing. Um, Yeah, I can see that. I mean, the pace of change in in online adoption is kind of dizzying, you know? So, I mean, it's almost uh, exhausting from that standpoint. And, yeah, when you mix in this this current kind of period, I guess, this era of perpetual outrage, I think I'm not sure how sustainable that is in the long run, you know? So, so yeah, Yeah. I mean, hopefully it's something that, you know, I mean, there's certainly a time and a place where we, you know, collectively get outraged about something, or where something is controversial, and we have to debate it as a society or whatever. But um, 
Yeah, I'm not I sure. think our threshold for that's going to move up. Of, like, people are mad on Twitter about this is something that yeah. we can keep up. And the other phenomena, and I, I was talking to somebody, is like like online reviews. I think that's a whole aspect of this that does it. Because we, we think a lot about like talking politics online and people are jerks to one another and they take controversial, they say controversial things or they it spirals and people start throwing around threats or whatever. The other thing is is like what online reviews have done to the business community or somebody gets mad at a business because of some, I don't know, political decision they made or whatever. And now people who have never patronized that business are giving them negative reviews. And I mean, that's a whole facet of this that, uh, you know, is, is, is probably ripe for, uh, for some scrutiny as well, but we're all out of time, Andrew. I certainly appreciate it. And the article was great. I think it's a, I think it's a fun, well, I don't know about a fun discussion. It's a good discussion. It's one we should be having. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a pleasure to speak with uh, the professors there and, and learn a little bit more about the psychological aspect of of mad online and what exactly that yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. All right, Andrew, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, certainly. Have a good one, Rob. That's uh, reporter Andrew Havner. I'm Rob Port. We'll wrap up the show after this. Hey, I just want to uh, programming update Track Talk with Jason Berg scheduled to air 6.30 to 8 tonight and Monday nights throughout the summer. Will not air tonight due to a conflict instead will air the cubbies baseball as they uh, start a game series with the colorado rockies that's 5 30 pregame tonight on 970 wday we'll be right back after this go oh hank jr this is, a, is this a response to my uh, reference to hank williams earlier yes i listen to you sometimes <laughs> A little backhanded. Yankee lover. Um, uh, I like, what'd you call me? Yankee lover. Yankee. <laughs> I, I enjoy baseball excellence. What can I say? The, um, yeah, I like, I like Hank Williams, I think, more than I like Hank Jr. Oh, really? Um, I do. Hank, Which, I like the original. What Hank. is your favorite senior? I'll, I'll try and drop that tomorrow. What's your favorite one? Uh, Love Sick Blues. Okay. I think that's I think that's the best song. I, he had so many great ones. It's it's really and not that not that people need me to uh, go off on a tangent about Hank Williams, but I just I don't know. I think his music is uh, fantastic. Um, I'm a fan. Let's see. Uh, wrap it up. Oh, Sean sent in. We uh, interviewed uh, Republican House candidate Tiffany Abentroth earlier in the program. Uh, she's touting her uh, her foreign policy experience. Sean uh, sends a message in. He says, Avatross' experience in foreign affairs is executing the policies given her by her military and civilian chain of command, not being a part of making such policy as a legislator. She could speak with expertise on executing policy, but for her, but for, for her to claim she has a better background on the making of foreign policy is a bit of a reach. Um, so that point of view from Sean, um, certainly Tiffany, I don't know. I'm just not hearing a lot that she's out there, uh, Tiffany Abentroth. I, I thought she was an interesting candidate. Um, certainly, I've tried to get her on this program. I interviewed her at the convention. Uh, I'll tell you, her, her convention speak kind of bombed a little bit. I mean, she just did not. I don't know that she's doing a lot to inspire people. And, and that's the thing about these campaigns is you got to get out there. you got to inspire people to get behind it. That's how politics work. I hear all the time. From political candidates, and Eric, I don't, I don't know if you've seen this, but I, I get a lot of pushback from political candidates who are upset that I don't write about them. Um, and the expectation almost seems to be that I, I'm supposed to write about them to give their campaign publicity. Right. 
And I, my point is that that's not how it works. You need to go out and say and do interesting things, and then I will write about you. Is I mean, this I Republican make... people or is the it Republicans and Democrats or... and Libertarians? Okay. Over the years, I've had them all, um, and not a lot of them. I think most of them know how it works. But I mean, here's the thing: if you're a candidate, I mean, this is how politics works. You got to do stuff to get yourself attention, right? Um, and I'm not saying I mean some politicians they they pull stunts, and that's not so great. But generally, I mean, if you want to make a splash, say and do interesting things. Promote a message that's going to get people behind it. It's not my job to come up with it for you. Have Kanye West mention your name. There you go. That Kanye West thing is when uh, <laughs> I worry sometimes. I mean, I, the, the celebrity culture, though, sometimes in this country is just a little. I think it's part of why Trump got elected. He was a celebrity. I think people liked that. But people go nuts. Like, like I think conservatives in particular, because it's it's relatively unusual that we get celebrities who are right of center. And so I think anytime a celebrity like sides with the Republicans, Republicans kind of go nuts about it, right? Uh, like like for a while there, we were, we were going to have Kid Rock run for the United States Senate. Are you kidding me? We're going to have Kid Rock, like on the, on the, foreign, on the, on the, the foreign Intelligence Committee, evaluating intelligence from like Afghanistan. He's prepared for that. Come on. We need to get serious about some of this stuff. I, I, real, I, I realize, I understand the desire to be cynical about politics and to think that all these people are jerks and idiots because, let's face it, a lot of them are jerks and idiots. But governing is serious stuff, whether it's, you know, the park board or Congress or the presidency. It's serious stuff. It deserves to be taken seriously, and I... I worry that we've gotten so cynical about American politics that we started to actually believe that celebrities could do the job. And I'm here to tell you, uh, they can't necessarily. I mean, I, I said Trump, and Trump obviously had celebrity appeal. Trump obviously had some background in managing big organizations as well, which is not not unimportant in terms of the presidency. But, uh, hey, uh, Jay Thomas Show coming up next. Once again, programming note for tonight, Track Talk with Jason Berg. Scheduled to air 6.30 to 8 tonight on, and Monday nights throughout the summer. It's not going to air tonight due to a conflict. Uh, instead, we'll have the Cubbies on. A little baseball for you. Uh, they'll be starting a three-game series with the Colorado Rocky. It's 5.30 pregame starts here on 970 AM 93.1 FM. I'm Rob Port. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.